We're going to be in the book of 1 John this morning. If you guys want to open up there, uh, chapter 4. While you're turning, uh, Pastor Rob referenced a, a sweet smelling aroma. And that's kind of where we're going to start today, actually. Um, with something called fish odor syndrome. Uh, some of you may have heard of it. It's actually something that my wife told me about. Uh, she's really into the medical marvels and mysteries type of stuff. And uh, this syndrome is, the syndrome is caused by the mutation of a certain gene that instructs the body to make enzymes to break down organic material in the diet. And folks that have this disorder, they cannot break down certain compounds in their food. And as a result, they emit an odor resembling rotten fish uh, through, their, through their sweat and their breath. I, I believe, as far as I know, none of you have this condition, so I, <laughs> I hope that I'm not offending anybody. That's not my, my intent whatsoever. Um, nor is it just to be gross. Um, this is a real thing, and I've, we've watched documentaries on it. Um, so they, they emit this smell. It comes from their sweat, their breath. It comes from the inside out, and it, it is smelled in other ways that I won't get into, but this, this smell, the smell is the indicator. It's a dead giveaway that someone has fish odor syndrome. Now, what has that got to do with us? Well, first, John. John is writing to a Christian audience for a handful of reasons, which he outlines throughout the book. It's a great short book. If you don't know where to turn tonight, turn there. You'll make it through very quickly and uh, be blessed. Um, and he outlines a lot of reasons throughout the book, but one of his main objectives is the theme of assurance. Assurance. He says in chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know. That you may know that you know that you know that you're a child of the living God. And he uses the phrase, by this we know, many times throughout the book. Seven times in five chapters by my count, but I'm open to being wrong on that. Um, in chapter 2, verse 5, he says, by this we may know that we are in him. In chapter 3, verse 10, he says, by this it is evident who are the children of God. Chapter 3, verse 16, by this we know love. Chapter 3, verse 19, by this we shall know that we are of the truth. Chapter 4, verse 2, by this you know the Spirit of God. Chapter 4, verse 13, by this we know that we abide in Him and He in us. And chapter 5, verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God. So John gives us in this short book various evidences or signs that Christians should be able to see in their lives as an assurance of the new birth. So if you constantly emit a smell of rotting fish from your breath and sweat, that is a strong indicator that you have fish odor syndrome. And if you don't smell like rotting fish, praise God, you don't have it. For it is marked clearly with a distinct set of symptoms, right? We can look to these symptoms and know that someone has this disorder. And so it is for the child of God. Rather than a foul odor, which we once all produced, right, being dead on the inside, there is now a wonderful fragrance that every redeemed sinner emits. There is a distinct and unique set of symptoms that we 
display that take place in us because of what God has done to us internally, internally and what he is doing in us. Now, John gives us a handful of these symptoms here in 1 John, but his most repeated and the object of our focus today is love, love. So if you turn to verse 7 with me, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, not the gospel of John. You can fix it now. There's still time. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And who does not love does not know God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So love, he says, let us love one another. This is the exhortation from the apostle. That is the sign of the true Christian. He says, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Now, this is a confusing book because we've got to understand a few things before we can just jump in anywhere and get what John is saying. This is a bit confusing, isn't it? I know, and you probably know, a lot of non-Christians who love in a lot of ways, right? I'm sure we all do. Surely you know uh, unbelieving parents who love their children or unbelieving spouses who love their partner, unbelieving children who love their parents, so on and so forth. Everybody in some way displays some type of love. Right? We have unbelieving folks that by their own confession say, hey, I love people. People are great. I love people. I'm a people person. Nobody loves people more than me, right? So what do we do with this? Does that mean that everyone actually is in fact reborn and knows God? It can't, right? It can't. Of course not. Only those with faith in Christ know God and are born of God. The case he is making is clear when we look at verse 8. He says, if you do not love, you do not know God. Why? Love is from God and God is love. See, it's not just the presence of some type of love that marks the Christian. Because we first, when you get into any conversation, you've got to define your terms. You've got to define your terms. That's why when we talk with our Mormon friends out in the world, we'll be using the exact same language. Oh yeah, Jesus is the Savior. He's this, that, and the other. But we're talking about two completely different things, two completely different Jesuses. We have to define our terms. And if love is from God, he's the one that defines it, right? He is the one that embodies it. This is the world's definition of love. And by the world, I mean the first uh, hit that you'll get on Google if you type in love definition. Uh, Top dictionary result. Listen carefully. This is love defined. An intense feeling of deep affection. It's the first definition that comes up an intense feeling of deep affection. So according to the world, love is at its core what? Feeling, right? Feeling. That is the, uh, that's a swear word uh, in in this church. You're not allowed to use the word feeling unless it's in the appropriate context. And so that, just kidding. And so this love that John speaks of is entirely different. It's entirely different from a feeling. Although feelings are involved, it is not the world's love. It is love that comes from God, that comes only from God. It is love that originates in Him. It is love that emanates from His being. And it is unique, this love, to the regenerate heart 
and mind. It is a unique love. It's only produced through union with Christ and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You cannot have this love if God is not living inside you. And now, on the topic of feelings, feelings do flow out of this love. Feelings do come alongside this love, and they make this love even sweeter. But the love is not a feeling in of itself. God is love, John says to his readers. Now, for those of you who are math folks, if you, if you put an equal sign between two things, you can flip them, and the equation remains the same, right? Two plus two is four. Four is two plus two. Okay, this is not an equal sign. Saying that God is love does not mean that love is God. We can't get this twisted up. God is not some love force that exists in the universe. We cannot flip the equation. The point that John is making here is that everything that there is to be known of love is displayed perfectly and completely in the character and actions of God. God embodies love. God is love. Everything there is to be known of love is in God. It's found in God. And to truly know love, we must know Him, right? He is the originator of it, and He defines it. So we must know Him. And if we say we know Him, we must have love. There is no other way around it. And what is this love? Well, John goes on to clarify for us, verse 9. He says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So this, this is love. This is the love of God that surpasses knowledge. This is the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Love that the world does not know and cannot know apart from Him. Love that is not a feeling, nor is it rooted in feelings, nor is it obligatory, meaning it was not owed. It was love that was not owed. It has existed in the eternal, perfect relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit from before time or creation began. And this love, this preference, this goodwill was made clear to us in actions. It was made clear to us. It was demonstrated to us in completed actions. Actions that were rooted in no other source but God's own graciousness and love. Romans 5.8, you guys know this one. God has already demonstrated His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the love of God. Meaning what? This is love, not that we loved Him, but that He loved us. His love is not and was never founded on our reciprocation. I'll say that again. His love is not and was not founded on us loving Him in return. It did not merely exist because of our future love for Him, and it does not persist because of our current love for Him. It is not and was not ever based on our love for Him. He did not see that we would love Him and then beat us to the punch. He's like, no, 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 I'm going to love you first. 
I win. I got to see the future. No, he loved us when there was nothing lovable about us. The love of God is in this, that he made a decision from eternity past to redeem a people for himself, for his son, to worship him and to enjoy him forever, purely and entirely of his own gracious will. And the love of God, which is not a feeling, he has feelings towards us, yes, amen? His love is not rooted in those feelings, because I know that uh, we, we do a lot of things that might make God feel a certain type of way. I'm sure I don't need to list those all off for you. Well, the love of God is demonstrated by historical facts that cannot change. He sent his perfect son into the world that we might live through him. When there was absolutely nothing lovable about us, he loved us. Because he is love. And he demonstrated that love by sending his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And there's another word if, if you're not familiar with, there is no better time than today to familiarize yourself with propitiation. Christ's propitiation was a wrath-removing sacrifice. When Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice for our sins, he satisfied the righteous wrath of God against our sin and made reconciliation and peace with God for us. Two parties that were at odds are now at peace. And not by a mutual peace accord. It wasn't you know what, God, I really want peace with you. And he says, you know what, I really want peace with you too. Let's just shake on this and we'll just, we'll just call it good. No, this was by the determined will and sacrifice of the one who loved first. He loved us first. He demonstrated his love first. He sacrificed first. He initiated this love. The love of God is fixed, eternal, it is unchanging, and it is unwavering for those who are in Christ. And there is nothing that can separate us from his love because we didn't earn it. We are confident of this because his word says it plainly and because this love has nothing to do with anything that is in us but because of what he has done for us, what he has done to us in Christ. It is founded on Christ's performance and not ours. Jesus fulfilled our failure to love and obey God. Jesus fulfilled our failure to love our neighbor. Jesus was crucified, paid the infinite debt, the penalty that we owed for breaking the laws of a holy God. Jesus rose from the grave, having given himself a perfect, sinless sacrifice. He did all of it. It's finished. It's done. The work is done. And if you are in Christ, this was all applied to you at the moment of regeneration. In a moment, in the blink of an eye, the moment you turned to Christ in true faith and repentance, you became the recipient of all of this. God sees your account not only as if you had, had never sinned, right? Tablo eraso, scratched out. But more than that, all of Christ's goodness and righteousness has been imputed to you. Debt forgiven, perfection applied. You could not possibly be more loved than that, right? He demonstrated his love in giving his son. And so what makes his grace so gracious is that all of it, his plan of salvation, his giving of his son, his redemption of fallen sinners, 
The gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of faith, is all a free gift. That's what makes it grace. That's what makes it gracious. And this is where John calls our attention on the subject of love. This is the love of God that has been poured out on the church. He laid down his life for us, he says in chapter 3, verse 16. And then he says this, and we ought to lay our lives down for the brothers. So his pattern of argumentation here is the exact same that the Apostle Paul uses over and over. There's two words I'm going to throw at you. They're not complicated. From indicatives to imperatives. This is what God has done. Now, in light of that, go and do this. Because God has done this, it is now possible and right to do this in response. Indicatives, imperatives. This is what's done, now do. This is what separates us from every other worldview, every other religious system on the face of the earth. It is not do, do, do. It's done, now do. He has done it, now love him and serve him and worship him because you've been freed. Your price has been paid. You've been made perfect. See, love, amen, love is a far more powerful motivator than fear. Love is greater than fear. I'm going to use my mom as an example of this. Uh, she's, a, she's the best of the best at what she does. She is a, a bank manager, and she is elite. There is, there is no tier that you can go above her performance levels in the bank. The reason for this that's been shown over and over and over and over is not that she scares her employees into producing results. She loves her people. She loves her employees. She demonstrates her love for them and caring for them and supporting them and training them and building them up. She loves her customers. She loves her clients. She loves her partners. Love. Love. Fear will get the job done, right? Fear is efficient. Fear will get the job done. But love goes above and beyond. Love is greater than fear. And John tells us in this book that perfect love has cast out fear. It has cast out the fear of punishment because the punishment has been applied already. There is no longer condemnation for those who are in Christ. So the fear is gone. The fear of punishment has been removed. The fear of death has been removed through Christ. So now we are free. We are free to love him. We're free to serve him. And we're free to love one another without the fear of being destroyed. And this is why we preach Christ every single time we gather here. Without fail, we will preach Christ every single week, every single day that we gather in this building because he is the starting point for everything that we're commanded or instructed to do in all the scriptures. He is the center of everything. He is the reason that any of this is even possible. Don't worry about loving your neighbor if you're not in Christ. You can't do it. It's impossible. These things are impossible for the natural man. Everything that we do is because Christ has done. Simple as that. We live because he lives, and we love because he loved. Which leads us to verse 11. John says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So the love of God is the single greatest motivation for us 
to love one another. It necessitates it. Because God loves us, we must love one another. His love is the example for us to follow. His spirit is the one that enables us to do it. We can love because he loves. And if we know him, we will love one another. It's not that we should or we might or we kind of maybe sort of. We will. We will. Now, we all know that we can't love exactly like God loves, right? We can't uh, atone for the sins of mankind. That's something that is unique to his love. But we can love in the same way that he loved, laying down our lives for the sake of his body. Now, outside of Christ, like I said, we've got a very supermassive problem here because this is not the natural state of man to love this way. Paul recounts for us in Titus 3 the default setting, if you will, of the lost, and he includes himself in this. He says we. He doesn't just say you. I love the word we. It's very inclusive. He says, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. This is the state of the unredeemed person. Can anyone else testify to this? Or am I the only one? All right, there's two of you. <laughs> if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive. We'll get there later. Um, but here comes the solution. The solution, one of the greatest words in all of the scriptures, I say this all the time, my favorite Bible word is not some fancy Greek word, it's but, 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 you were this way, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We were living in hatred for one another, being hated by one another, but God has saved us. This whole thing, this whole command to love hinges on God's loving kindness. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and he made us alive. This love is not something that we can just conjure up in our human strength. We can't just try harder. We can just, I gotta love, I gotta love, I gotta love. We can't just manifest it, nor is it found in the natural man, which is why John points to it specifically as an assurance of salvation, as an assurance of the Holy Spirit in you, as an assurance of God's saving grace. Because love, biblically, godly love is a byproduct of a changed heart, a regenerated heart. It's not that I, I don't have love, so I need to muster some up so I can prove my salvation. If that's where you are, we'll get to that. No, it's because the Spirit of God is in me. He lives in me that where I once hated, now I love. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, we're not going to get too far into this, but there is, a, there is a general love of God that he demonstrates to the entire world. Yes, he is gracious to all. He is patient to all. He makes the sun rise and the rain fall on the just 
and the unjust. Some folks call this common grace. I don't necessarily like the word common grace. It's common to all people, but it's very uncommon in that God is so holy and yet He would still be gracious toward a rebellious people. But He allows the wicked to enjoy the graces that He affords them here in their time on earth, right? Even the unredeemed enjoy the things that God has created. And in the person of Jesus, the grace of God has appeared to all people, bringing salvation for all people who will believe in Him. But there is a special love, there is a unique love that He has for His church, for His elect, for His bride, for His body. These are all terms that are used to describe the church. The church. And in the context here, because of the repeated use of the word brother, brethren, brothers, so on and so forth, we know that John is referring to this special love that we are also to have for the body of Christ. A love that imitates the love of the Father according to His revealed truth toward those whom He has made His own. Love like God that initiates without being loved first. Love that seeks the good of others. Love that is sacrificial and selfless. Love that forgives readily. Anybody have trouble with forgiveness? Love that forgives readily. Love that is patient and kind. Love that is humble. Love that rejoices in the truth. Bearing, believing, hoping, enduring. If you've ever been to a wedding, you're probably familiar with that list of things. Love that is fixed upon truth, not upon feelings. Truth, not feelings. Now, love, my friends, also warns, right? God is loving and gracious to warn us of the wrath and the judgment that is to come. That's why He's given us His truth. He's given us His Word that we might know Him. We might know His character, what He's like. Love warns. And so I have some warnings for you all this morning. And of course, also encouragement as we consider John's command to love. So first and foremost, if you're sitting in your chair today, and your heart is full of anger, bitterness, distaste toward the church, not the building. If you don't like the building, that's fine. Take no offense. Not toward the building. The church is not a building. We call it a church building because we gather here, but the church is a people. And if in the place of unconditional love there is anger, hatred, bitterness, you have more than enough reason to to closely examine your standing before God. If you do not have love for God's people, you have not known Him. As simple and as straightforward as that. If you say you love God but hate your brother, you are a liar, says John. If you say you love God but you hate your brother, you are lying. This is not the love of God. This is, a, this is an increasingly common occurrence, I think, in our culture because we're very individualistic and we can do it all on our own so on and so forth make our own way pave our own path those who profess to know and love God but just cannot stand the church folk you know I have my own thing with God but the church man those guys are a bunch of stinking hypocrites and I can't stand not one of them a bunch of religious weirdos I'm spiritual but I'm not religious so on and so on it goes look the Bible is crystal 
clear on this. First John is crystal, crystal clear on this. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Because we love the brothers, we know that we know God. We know that we love God. Whoever does not love abides in death. Examine yourself this morning. Where is your heart? Are you filled with love and joy to come and be with God's people? Or is it uh, burdensome? If you do not know the love of God, if you do not know the love of God, He can be known. That's the good news. He can be known. Trust Christ and repent today, now. Turn from your ways and believe in the Son of God. Read His Word. Read His Word and see the mighty and wonderful things that He has done toward mankind. Put your faith in the finished work of Christ and you will be made new. Your heart will be changed. You will be changed from the inside out and you will have love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Love is not a prerequisite. It's not a test that you have to pass to get in. No, love is not a prerequisite. It's a result of regeneration. Come to Him as you are and He will change you. Another caution. I'll, I'll just kind of stick these two together. To the one who believes that he or she can live the Christian life independently of the church or independently of God's Word. I'm just going to sandwich these together. could spend all day on this, and Lord knows I'd like to, but if you think you can do this independently of the church or independently of the Word, I urge you, again, to examine yourself in light of what the Scriptures have to say. Love for the church, for the people of God, and love for God's Word are absolutely vital. They're absolutely vital. How can you love God if you don't know what He's like? How can you worship Him and His attributes if you do not know what they are? And how will you know what He is like if not by what He has spoken, what He's revealed of Himself? And how will you love the body if you are removed from it? If you're not participating in it, if you're not a piece of it, like Pastor Rob said, each of us has a place in this body. We have been made new to be one union with Christ, with each other. There is absolutely no scriptural concept of a Christian outside of the church. It's like an oxymoron. There, there is no such record of any such thing. We know that we know God because He's given us love for His people is the case that John's making. And we spend time with the people that we love most, do we not? Right? People we love most are the people we're going to be around. They're the people we want to be around. And the church, the church, we share a bond that is beyond any earthly tie. We have in common that which the rest of the world cannot know, cannot understand. We are united by the truth of God's Word and the adoration and the worship of His Son. That's what we come here to do every single week, to be a body and to worship our King. He purchased a people for Himself. A people. We are that people. We are the redeemed people. We exist as a community, a family, a body. And if you are a lone ranger in regard to the church body, just outlaw, lone ranger, doing my own thing. If you're a, whatever you are, a clipped toenail, 
or a stray eyelash or whatever it may be, something that has been, you know, I was, I, I'm part of the body, but I'm kind of, you know, uh, you know, I got swept into the dustbin over here. I'm a, you know, a little eye goog that got flicked off in the morning. Please, repent and come and function in the body as you were made to, as you have been gifted to uniquely to serve the body of Christ and your feelings will follow. Don't wait for the feelings. The feelings deceive always. Constantly feelings are deceptive. Let the feelings come alongside. Act first. Love first. And then the feelings will come. Well, when we're gathering here in the morning before church starts and there's folks drinking coffee and, and loving on one another and sitting at the cafe tables, it's just, man, the feelings are all there. The feelings are there in full force. I am just like overfilled with joy. But sometimes before church, man, sometimes the feelings aren't there, you know? Sometimes at nine in the morning, I'm like, man, it's hot. I'm sweating already. I'm just like in a headspace, right? But we press on regardless. We let the feelings come. Don't let the feelings derail you. If you don't feel like you have to come to church or be a part of this, it's irrelevant. You do. Do it. Repent. Come. Be a part of this. There is nothing sweeter. There is nothing sweeter than the fellowship of the saints with each other and with our King. This is what we have been made for. Even when Adam walked in the garden in perfect relationship with God, what did God say? It's not good that he should be alone. And he hadn't even sinned yet. So what makes you think, of course none of you guys do this, but what makes you think that you can do this thing alone if Adam couldn't do it alone before sin had even entered the world? We need each other and it is the greatest blessing to be with each other. Now, everyone that comes to this church is easy to love, so this is all irrelevant, um, but uh, you guys make it easy, truly. I'm blessed. I'm grateful to be a part of this body, um, to be welcomed in here. Um, but for those of you who know the love of God, who have been given supernaturally this love for His people, I talk with people all the time. They say, hey, yeah, I used to hate everybody. Now, I have this weird thing. It's like, I, I love people. I'm like, Really? That's a God thing. It's a God thing. Love for people. If you have been given this love, if you know this love, while that love is there and we do our best to nurture it and, and we rejoice in it, we are all going to fail at this command. Amen? We're all going to fail. None of us have loved perfectly up to this point and none of us will love perfectly this side of heaven. But praise God, as John reminds us in chapter 2, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. Our goal is to continue on in love. Do we fail? Do we stumble? Yes. Have I been unloving towards somebody today already? Yes. Confess it. Move on. Keep on loving. Keep on loving. Paul's prayer for the Philippians was that their love would abound more and more. He says, you guys are loving. Keep on loving. Love more. Love more. So may your love for each other abound. May it abound. Consider Christ's example of service and sacrifice and forgiveness. We are to love each other as He loved. 
not wavering according to our feelings day to day, but loving based on the truth of who we are. We are the family. We are the household of God. We are related by a relation that cannot even be comprehended by the human mind. And allow, like I said, the feelings to come along and follow. Do not grow weary of doing good, knowing that it is God who sees and rewards. Love when there is nothing to be gained. This is a tough one. Love when there is nothing to be gained. If your brother sins against you, forgive him as God and Christ forgave you. What if he sins against me twice in the same day? What did Jesus say? Forgive him. What if he sins against me seven times? Forgive him. What if he sins against me 490 times? If he comes and says, brother, I sinned against you, will you forgive me? What are we going to say? Yes, there is absolutely no grounds for me to hold unforgiveness in my heart toward a brother or a sister because I know I've read Paul's reminder of who I was when Christ loved me. All of you have experienced this. You know who you were, and you know that God loved you not because of it, but in spite of it. And he offered his son to redeem someone as wretched as me. If your brother doesn't reciprocate your love and service, keep on serving. Reciprocation is lovely, but it's not promised. Knowing that you serve Christ. He will reciprocate. Amen? Amen. He's a just rewarder of those who seek Him faithfully. Show hospitality to one another. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed and received us. Again, when we were not lovable or likable, right? The folks that uh, we show hospitality toward should not just be the folks that are easy to show hospitality toward. Everybody does that. What's the difference? Encourage one another. Strengthen one another as Christ encourages and strengthens you. Be at peace and harmony with one another as Christ has made peace between us and God. You see, everything He has done enables us to do. Care for one another as Christ has so tenderly and gently and patiently cared for us. Teach and admonish one another as Christ taught, teaches, and admonishes us. Pray for one another as Christ intercedes for us. When we sin, He prays on our behalf. He is our advocate. He intercedes for us when Satan accuses us. And be joined to one another as Christ has joined Himself to us. Let your love abound. Let your love abound. Wherever you're loving, love more. Wherever you're not loving, love. And as it abounds, rejoice together knowing that because this love is present in you, you are the children of God. That you have eternal life. And as John says in the first chapter of this book, that your joy may be complete. Assurance is joy. It's the greatest source of joy to know. To know, to know, to know. How do we know? Got to read. Amen? You can't know what you don't know. Father, thank you. Thank you that you have demonstrated the greatest love that the world has ever known in giving your precious Son for the sake of a lost and wicked people. Father, we thank you that you set your love upon us from eternity past, God. And we thank you 
you are so gracious and so kind and so loving that you would save us, God, that you would give of yourself to save a people like us. And we thank you, Father, that you have redeemed this people for yourself, that you've given us the gift of the Spirit, you've given us the gift of love, Father, that we might serve and love one another as you have done so perfectly for us, that you've displayed so perfectly in your Son. We look to that example today, Father, and we ask, God, that you would empower us by your Spirit, Father, to love more, to love continually, to love supernaturally, to love as you have loved, to initiate love, to love sacrificially, Father. And for those who may be watching online or are are in building today, Father, who do not know this love, Father, would you pour out that love on them? Would you make them know the love of Christ? Would you open their eyes to the truth of your word, Father, that they might turn and be welcomed as you have welcomed us, Father, through faith. We thank you that it's your grace alone that has saved us in spite of ourselves, Father. We love you, and we know that we love you because we love each other. I thank you for this group of believers, God. Thank you for the privilege to uh, proclaim your truth to them, Father, and to rejoice together in what you've done. What a privilege we have to be called children of God. We glorify you, Lord. We worship you, and we give you thanks. In the name that is above every name, in the name of Jesus, amen.